Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the club that you're going to want to join. We're the voice of rare disease and this jingle doesn't rhyme. From Offscript Media, this is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to Episode 3 of NordPod, the voice of rare disease. On today's show, I welcome parents Alice Alpert and Edgar Wanzica to share their story of entering the rare disease community by way of their beautiful son, Leo, being born with Treacher-Collins Syndrome, a very rare genetic disorder with fewer than 20,000 U.S. cases per year. Edgar a practicing psychiatrist with a background in climate science, and his wife, Alice, a foreign affairs officer for the U.S. Department of State with a background in, I want to get this right, paleoceanography, ding, 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 found themselves navigating a foreign land, but found support from us, the rare disease community, with an added boost from the modern-day benefits of telehealth and all that that can bring. This episode is truly an inspiring story of love and hope, and when sometimes all you need to hear is your baby is going to be just fine. Enjoy the show. Alice, Edgar, thank you so much for joining me here on NordPod. We're just thrilled to have you share your story and talk about your expertise. I do want to start by saying that I've never, ever pronounced the word paleoceanography. Did I get that right, Alice? Yes, that's correct. All right. So phonics clearly worked for me, and I want to thank my teachers for explaining phonics to me. I'm, you know, just really want to comment on how impressive and compelling your stories are, not just even before your son was born, but what you've been through in your lives together and Alice, your story history of, you know, you've been a globalist, you're a citizen of the planet and everything kind of framed the way the two of you met. I'd love you to just briefly introduce your, your background story to our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, so we actually met in college, but then after college, um, went down to Antarctica to a research base there called Palmer Station, where I had gotten a job as a research tech, a field technician working on collecting data on how climate change is affecting the marine ecosystem there. So, but we were living there for, for six months and I uh, got a deal where I said I needed an assistant and it needed to be Eddie. So we, we went there and really experienced climate change firsthand. And it was 
really compelling to me, um, particularly, and really helped me in my decision to go back to school and get a PhD in paleoceanography, specifically trying to look at how climate changes in the past can teach us about how our planet works and what to expect in the future. Wait, so climate change is real? <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, um, man, and- I just lost a bet. Uh- <laughs> I know. I really wish it wasn't, right? I know. So she called you Eddie because you're married, but I'm going to call you Edgar. What was it like to be selected to go to Antarctica and spend all this time there observing paleoceanography phonics? Well, it was very neat to see my wife acting as such a competent scientist. She was (laughs) so good at her work and did a great job teaching me such that she was able to leave a little early and I could finish the work. But um, the, the best part was it was an adventure of a lifetime. Um, we lived on a scientific research station and could access the boats and materials, the warm weather gear, whenever we wanted, so we could climb on the glacier in our backyard or take the boats out to go follow the whales or visit the island where the penguins had their colony. I've never seen a full life cycle of any animal, but we arrived as the adult penguins came onto shore Uh, created their nests, laid the eggs, raised the chicks, and then left. So it was really something special. Were you a practicing psychiatrist back then as well? No, it was before medical school. Okay. So what drove you to go to medical school and and take that role? Sure. Um, I come from a family of doctors. I'm actually the 17th doctor in my family. So it's a cultural uh, thing in my family. And we believe strongly in health and uh, providing health care to underserved populations. My sister was in Doctors Without Borders. My dad spent his entire career in community health centers. And that's what I'm doing. I'm working in a community health center in D.C. providing psychiatric care. Uh, it's really, really wonderful and rewarding work. I'm not going to ask if there are any black sheep that might have gone into engineering, but I appreciate the commitment of your genetics. Absolutely. Yeah. So this all sounds perfectly well i wouldn't say normal and most people don't go to antarctica in their lifetime but normal with respect to the way life is supposed to go and then everything changed on a dime and then we get into the real the real story of why you're on this episode of nordpod yeah no question um a couple months ago i mean alice was pregnant we were very excited um we timed the pregnancy so that alice would be six months pregnant at an international climate change negotiation um, so she could attend. And then afterwards, she wouldn't be attending anymore. Uh, We had, uh, we moved into a two bedroom, put up a decal uh, of a tree in the bedroom, and we're very excited. And then had a very complicated delivery that we did not expect. There was no indication that our child would be born with a rare genetic medical condition based on ultrasound or anything to do with Alice's pregnancy. So, When he came out, we were in the operating room. Alice needed to get an emergency C-section because his heart rate was dangerously slow. Um, She had tried for a vaginal delivery. And when we were in there together, um, I was holding her hand. And after the baby came out, everyone was quiet. Um, And that really alarmed Alice. She said, why isn't my baby screaming? And then the effects of the anesthesia hit her and she started shivering uncontrollably. Um, They brought the baby over to the little warmer that they have the station. And fortunately, a neonatologist was present and he wasn't breathing. He was 
limp. And when I looked at him, he he had low set ears uh, that weren't formed. And uh, in my medical training, I only learned of two conditions that far, or in my training anyways, that uh, created that. And both were inconsistent with human life. And so I didn't jump to any conclusions and I didn't tell Alice what I was feeling in the moment. But um, the wind was certainly knocked out of me. All I did was hold Alice's hand and uh, we talked about how we loved each other and how we needed to wait to find out more about what was happening. They were able to, so when he came out, his small jaw was obstructing his airway. And so he wasn't breathing and he was transferred over to the um, warmer uh, and the neonatologist was able to intubate him, fortunately. And so he did eventually breathe and move. Um, but when I saw him, he was gray and limp. So it was a very, very scary experience. We went back to the labor room after we left the operating room. And I actually have no recollection of what happened over the next three hours. I know I called my family. Um, I remember my older brother's voice and my parents' voice, but I actually don't know at all besides that what happened. I do know that I told my parents to come out immediately and that I didn't know how long our son would live. And so my dad packed a suit in case he was attending a funeral. This is obviously something that does not happen all the time, but it clearly does happen enough of the time to warrant this story being necessary to be heard. I guess the this is maybe a rhetorical question, but have was there any understanding as to how this complication was not noticed in utero? Yeah, there was an issue where when Alice had her ultrasound where they did the anatomic scan, um, they could not visualize his face very well. And so they came back or Alice was requested to come back for a second ultrasound. And so they read the first one as like insufficient level of detail or uh, observation or what they could see. And the second one they read as normal. And that was the mistake. They should not have read the second one as normal. Mm. They should have picked up on the small jaw. And when we look back at the ultrasound images that we have, we can see the treacher Collins now. Um, so there was something of a mistake on their part. So let's talk about Treacher Collins. Alice, you were knocked out from anesthesia. You woke up and what was that? Well, what I remember most is all of the beeps instead of what I had expected to hear, which was a crying baby. I just heard beeps and beeps and beeps. It felt like it went on forever. And I remember being with Eddie there in the OR and we were together, but like, I also just remember feeling really alone because like, we just didn't know what was going on. That was really scary. But yeah, I was <laughs> also having these uncontrollable shakings. So I just like, didn't say anything. I just kind of like withdrew completely into myself for the next few hours. And I had an excuse because I said that I couldn't talk because my teeth were <laughs> chattering. Yeah. Must be really interesting. I mean, you wouldn't know any different because you are coming from academia and science to have a very different perspective lens on. And, and by the way, your, your son was beautiful, baby Leo. Uh, of You had a, I guess I should ask, how soon after he was born were they able to quantify the rare condition of teacher Collins. And second to that is your approach to understanding rare disease was 
obviously new to you, but was it processed differently outside of the clear emotional damage? So the neonatologist, when he presented the baby to us in the OR, said that it's one of two things, either Nasher syndrome or Treacher Collins, um, based on the facial characteristics. But that didn't mean anything to us. <laughs> it, was, right. it was good that we had a sense, but we didn't know. And it, it is so helpful to have knowledge right off the bat and the networks that have been created for this. That's what we're so happy about with this organization. Um, we, Alice told her sister, who has had her own experience with medical conditions. And so what she did was immediately went on Facebook and connected with the Treacher Collins Syndrome Facebook page. And within a couple of days, we were spending hours talking with someone who has Treacher Collins to better understand what his life was going to be like. And that made a world of a difference. And then as a physician myself, the NICU team, so Leo was transferred to hospitals and was in the NICU for a month. Um, the NICU team told me about a website paid for or created by the government um, called Gene Reviews, where individuals collectively put together all the knowledge, medical knowledge about rare syndromes so that a physician somewhere in the country that does not as familiar can read and understand the conditions. And so I read that and I am so glad that our government puts those resources together because it was just really, really well spelled out. Um, so I became a big advocate for um, the way that we invest resources in providing better medical care for individuals with rare conditions, which is something of a minor or maybe a larger ship because my mom's in public health. And so a lot of what I talk about too, and what I focus on is what are some of the larger social determinants that affect large populations as opposed to individuals with rare diseases. And uh, there's a tension there to some extent, but I think we can also just make the pie larger rather than fight over the size of the pie or the allocation of the pie. Back with our guest after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I want to point out to our listeners the perspective that is really important to understand here. It is 2020. Leah was born in 2020. Even in so much as five years ago, 
these resources that were available to you, we discussed determinants and access. You had a doctor who was clearly able to identify the syndrome as soon as possible. You had a proactive sister who found a group that existed on Facebook, which may not have five or six years ago, and you connected to a tribe that was empathetic with no judgments. That's something to be said about how far we've come if you just want to wrap this under advocacy and where we can find the communities to learn from. That may not need to be the insanity of Dr. Google. Can you talk to us about the, I I would almost say perhaps cathartic nature of finding this community? Oh my gosh, I can really speak to that. And it's interesting to think back now, it was only six months ago when we were first connecting with a number of families who have kids with Treacher Collins and they all said, he's going to be okay. It's a huge shock, but he's going to have a great life. And those were just kind of words at the time because we were day by day, like exploring his body. Like, does he have inner ears? Like, is his brain okay? Like all of these things, it was like so strange, like a new world exploring. But the words of that he's going to be okay and he's going to have an okay life, great life, did just kind of stick in my head. And that's what I would say to a new family if I were to meet them now. It's going to get easier. Like the first day literally was the hardest. And things change so fast as we're first-time parents, but we've realized that our baby is a different baby like day to day and week to week. So we're just getting used to the changes and generally he's getting better. He's getting stronger. So anything that feels like limiting, oh, we can't do this. Who knows what that, if that will be true in a month or a year or whatever. That's one of the adjustments. For example, in terms of connecting to the community, just yesterday I posted a question um, about logistics of having a trach-dependent baby. And I immediately got, like, within 24 hours, I have, like, 50 comments on it. And so helpful um, and supportive, saying, like, this community is here for you. Like, keep living your life. Leo is so cute. Um, it means so much, both on a practical level and an emotional level. So I am so thankful for that kind of community. And it's not something like being part of a rare disease community is never something that I thought would happen to me. It's so easy to just say it's the club no one wanted to join. But what you're expressing is so parallel to what I've been involved with in oncology for so long. It's, it's your family instantly out of the gate. Speaking of 2020, I, I want to get to the pivot to, to telehealth from in person. But first, I, one of the most important things that I think listeners really want to hear, and this is maybe a, a bastardization of the word life hacks, but the things you can learn from your community. I mean, this is 20,000, only 20,000 a year, but that could still be hundreds of thousands of families over the last 10 or 15 years. 
What did you learn from this community as far as life hacking your way through understanding what what would and wouldn't work, the mistakes that perhaps were made in the past that are they're hoping that you don't have to make? That is such an interesting question. You know, I think one of the big, there's there's so many ways in which these communities are shifting the experience of the child and the families. Um, and I think in answering the life hack, I think it would be what is your approach and understanding of your child? And there's just been a radical shift in the last 50 years where instead of kind of assuming that this child would be in an institution, which would have been the idea 50 years ago, now the assumption is that child's coming home with you. And that is such a big shift. And I'm so grateful to the individuals before us who created that. And then as you kind of adjust to the idea of this child being at home, accepting the child for who they are and loving them is really challenging in the beginning, where there's a process of mourning um, the child that you expected um, and accepting the child that you have. And so that's one process, one life hack is accepting that you're going to have a grief um, and that going through that grieving process, you then can see your child more clearly for who they are. And then the second idea that I think has been very helpful is to not engage in a comparison game, to recognize how easy it is to engage in a comparison game and that the comparison game doesn't necessarily help you. So that comparison game is is active when Alice and I are looking at each other and each other's responses. Um, we are in different places at different times, and it's not necessarily stages in a progression where one of us is kind of further ahead or more accepting or more loving or less upset. And we're just kind of experiencing his life differently and accepting each other's responses without judging them and supporting each other where, when we need that support without judging each other. And then similarly, not engaging in the comparison game when it comes to your child. So there were times initially where we would look at other children who are a similar age and we could see them engaging in behaviors that are going to be more challenging for Leo and not engaging in a, I wish that that was my child or that Leo could do it so easily, um, but instead focusing on what we do have, accepting our current reality rather than being in pain that it's not what we wanted or expected because Leo brings so much joy into our lives. We love that little guy so much. And I think our listeners can tell just by the emotion in your voice that that is absolutely and unequivocally true. You know, clearly you both didn't choose to go to trach dependent baby one-on-one school in college. How did you learn to govern and manage the, the, probably the incredible nuances of his care on a day-to-day basis when things were probably had to happen in real time, in real life, constantly traveling. And then, then let's dovetail into the idea that, or the fact that we're now living in a digital age and telehealth and the internet actually are helping situations such as Leo's. Yeah, I think I can speak to that because um, I spent a lot of time I was lucky to have a lot of maternity leave. So I spent a lot of time with Leo in the hospital before he was discharged, getting trained 
how to take care of him and keep him safe when he got home. I think something that I think about when I look back on that time was that I remember many of the nurses saying, you know, you're the expert on your child, you know your child. And at that point, I didn't actually. So that was kind of anxiety producing because I was like, well, if I'm supposed to be the expert and I like really feel like I don't know how to take care of him, what does that mean (laughs) for everyone else? But I can, I guess now I do feel like the expert and I can see the value of them saying that then because I think it made me want to be the expert more. We had a lot of training on dolls. (laughs) Um, So we practiced like, CPR, we practiced changing trachs, we practiced changing his his feeding tube many times. And like, you know, do it with help, do it with prompts, do it without prompts. So that, for example, when we did have an emergent situation, just a few days after we came home from the hospital, I put all of that training to work and didn't even think about like, I knew baby CPR, no problem. And that made a big difference because the time when you transition to home is like, can be rocky and was for us too. But over time, we've just kind of iteratively tweaked his equipment and worked a lot with his doctors and the medical equipment company. And certainly the digital aspect is really helpful. Also just in something as simple as messaging. For example, this week, his um, trachs, the skin around his trach site has been very irritated because it's been hot weather. And I was able to just message his otolaryngology nurse. And she said, oh, you should use this cream at this times of day with this dressing. And she sent the, the prescription to the pharmacy and like, it has made such a huge difference and it was so easy. So I can't say enough for like online, like just messaging platforms. But then also because some of these, you know, skills that any baby needs to learn, like eating and speaking are coming harder for Leo. Um, He does have a lot of early intervention therapies and we have been able to do those via telehealth, which means that he actually gets more time in therapy because if we were to go in person, it would take like a whole half a day. And I couldn't do that every week. I just would have to limit the number of visits. So that has made a difference. And as, you know, as is appropriate and possible, he has also seen specialists um, via telemedicine. And you know, when, when I'm trying to balance getting him to see the doctors and the specialists that he needs to, but then also working on this really important development, like teaching him to eat by mouth. And it's so much extra time going to an in-person appointment, like that can actually be in conflict because then it throws off his whole eating schedule. (laughs) And it sometimes feels like you can never win. So it makes a big difference to be able to just go online and do a video call. And then he can get that 
practice with his oral feeding without having to throw everything out the window. It does speak to the 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 almost like I would. I'm gonna. This is not apples to apples, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna say like I remember like 20 years ago when like like eBay started and PayPal started and the, everyone was terrified to put their credit card information online. And here we are. It's only credit card information. We are living in Amazon world with COVID land, and telehealth has been around for enough of a time where you would think there could have been more mass adoption. And of course, COVID has kind of forced that. But you were aware of it. And we, for our listeners, we, we talked before the show about how there's a lot of heavy lifting to get Leo prepped in the car to the clinic. And now the efficiencies that you're benefiting from are because of telehealth. Do you have any one particular story you can talk about how that has truly changed care for you? Yes, no question. So he's got, there's a lot of different kinds of small jaw. Um, and this is a particular kind, Treacher Collins. There's some unique aspects that makes it different than other children with small jaws. And there's only so many surgeons that have training in performing surgeries on individuals with Treacher Collins and small jaws and a lot of controversy about which technique to use and when. And we've been able to consult more than a handful of surgeons across the country without having to travel to those respective cities and book hotel rooms. And we don't even know how to travel with him yet <laughs> to begin with, much less like take days off from work and book hotel rooms and go there. Um, and so to be able to consult all these surgeons and learn what we believe is the best thing for him uh, has just made a world of a difference. And we could not have done that at all before telemedicine. And then, so that's a larger thing. And then what Alice was getting at with sending that message to the nurse, she included photos. So the nurse didn't have to ask Alice, well, is it like red in this way and how long and how long has it been there? Is it shiny? Is there any pus? She could just say, oh, I see the photo. I know exactly what that is. This is what you have to do. A truly, a truly inspiring and, and heart-tugging story of, of, of love and community and life hacking, and actually when social media does something good for a change, I mean, I don't usually give credit to Facebook, but when they do things right, they really do things right. Uh, Alice Alpert, Edgar Wanzica, the parents of beautiful baby Leo, this show is about the voice of rare disease. Thank you so much for coming on NordPod. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. That's all for today. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Leslie Nordstrom. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Karen Lee is our production manager. Valerie Don Francesco is our marketing manager. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary and the post-production team at Offscript Media. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit nordpod.org.